So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, today we magnify and we glorify your precious name. Give me thanks yet again for another day, Lord God, that you have given us. A day, Lord God, that it's only because of you that we stand in this place, Lord God. It's only because of you, Lord God, that we truly have the privilege and the honor to worship you, Lord God, and to sing unto you, to bless your holy name, Lord God. And for that, we thank you, Lord God, as your presence has filled this place, Lord God, and that your spirit has moved, Lord God, in a way that blesses you above all things. And when you are blessed, Lord God, then we know that we are blessed. That, that in, the, in you being blessed and satisfied, Lord God, that, that there's something about you being blessed, Lord God, that gives us all and more than we need, Lord God. So we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. So right now, Lord God, as you love us by your word, that you encourage us, Lord God, I pray that every heart is open, Lord God. As your word says, he that have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church, Lord God. Let our hearts be open to receive from you this day, Lord God. Not in how we want to hear things or what we want to hear, Lord God, but just that we receive that which you are sending forth and down from on high, Lord God, that it may change us, rearrange us, Lord God. That something is said or done that we will never be the same, Lord God. Give us a heart of humility, Lord God. Let us humble ourselves before you right now in the name of Jesus. That when you, and as you break the bread of life with us, Lord God, that we don't let it pass us by in no way, shape, fashion, or form. Let us receive it as your children of Israel see, receive the manna in the desert, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Wow. If you will, open your Bibles up to the book of Numbers. I'm just really trying to allow God to, to speak right now. Because there's so much in what he is given us in terms of the word right now of so much that he was sharing with me throughout this whole week and, and, and certainly even on yesterday that I just, it's, it's overwhelming. So I just have to really allow the Spirit of God now to have his way. And so I'm just, bear with me as I try to allow that to happen. The word of the Lord as I hear it in real time right now is that God is one to speak to us and encourage us today that with the title I guess of the message would be something of to this nature what God has blessed somebody say that what God has blessed okay and, I, and somebody saying well does it stop right there well the title of it stops right there but we know what God has blessed what he wants to share with us today and encourage us today is that what God has blessed, no man, somebody say no man, no man can curse. And he's going to have us take a look here in his word that throughout the word of God, there's so many different examples of the blessing of God going out to his people. And then men wanting to curse that which God has blessed. Men wanting to curse that which God has blessed. And though that happened with the children of Israel, and we'll look at it, uh, one of the most well-known and profound examples of that on today out of the book of Numbers, I'm here to, to impart to you and to encourage you, my friend, that, that that mindset or that mindset of Satan 
that mindset of the, the enemy has not changed. The title of the message is true that what God has blessed, no man can curse. Amen. Nothing can curse it. Amen. Yet the enemy, even on today, and even up to today, and even until the coming of Christ Jesus, will still try to curse what God has blessed. And why is this important to each and every one of us? This is an important message for each and every one of us today as the children of the Most High God. That we be aware, consciously aware, fully aware that we may begin to truly embrace that which God has blessed in our life. That we may begin to walk in it. God needs us today, come on somebody, to begin to walk in the full blessing that he has placed before us and on us. And I, let, let me start by saying this. Let us not misunderstand or be confused in any way, shape, fashion, or form as it pertains to the blessing of God. The blessing of God, though, it falls on man. It falls on us. It will fall on us. The blessing of God, the most important thing about the blessing of God, and this is probably one of the most misunderstood things about the blessing of God. The blessing of God, first and foremost, is for him. Though we become the benefactors of the blessing of God. And even though we want the blessing of God, and it, and, and, and it does a lot for us, understand first and foremost, if you understand first and foremost, this is going to help you. And it's going to help each and every one of us to continue to walk in the blessing of God. See, the blessing of God is for God first and foremost. Do everybody hear me? One of the reasons why it's hard at times people, we don't walk in the full blessing of God if we, it comes because we don't realize that the blessing of God is for him first and foremost. It's, it's about what it does for him above all things. And while again, like I said, that yes, it benefits us in many different ways. It even satisfies us in many different ways. But see, this is where the dilemma comes in, is that when we uh, are walking in the blessing of God, or when we are to walk in the blessing of God, and when it don't seem to do what I need it to do, then guess what happens to the blessing of God? We stop operating in it. But if we can understand that the blessing of God is for God, then it, it ain't no matter how it feels for our flesh, quite often, it will allow us to, to be encouraged and to move forward because we know that first and foremost that this is about God. So if God is putting this blessing on my life, then no matter what it seems like today for me, then my aim and my goal is to please God. So you know what? That can be an encouragement to keep moving in the blessing of God until it does manifest into the benefit for you, and quite often we as people, we are looking for the benefit of, uh, of God more than what God is looking for for himself. Okay, I know y'all quiet in here this morning, and I understand it. Because it is a de it's, it's definitely uh, coming from a place that, that ain't so easy to our flesh. It's coming from a place that maybe we ain't even really thought about it like this. But if we understand, and this is what God wants to show us today, that the blessing of God is for him. It's for, it does something first and above you and me as individuals. It's about the kingdom of God. Somebody say kingdom of God. See, maybe that can help us a little bit because when we realize that the blessing of God that's sent out, that yes, he blesses you or he puts a, a, a blessing before you or for you to walk in, remember first and foremost, it's not for you or about you. It's first and foremost about the kingdom of God. Yes. And because we are a part of the kingdom. Come on. I know this wasn't going to be an easy message. That's all right, Lord. So as we turn to Numbers chapter 22. We're going to go to several different verses and you may even want to write some of this stuff down on today. Numbers chapter 22 through 24 all the way through Numbers chapter 25. So that's Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24, and 25. It speaks to us of a prophet named Balaam 
And this prophet, Balaam, let me make this plain and clear first and foremost. Uh, for some of you, you may know that prophets, there was more than one type of prophet in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and particularly in the time of the children of Israel. There was the one prophet, the prophets of God, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others. But we know that also during this time through what God has shown us through the study uh, in here is that there were prophets of men. They weren't God's prophets. But they were prophets. They prophets of men. Somebody say prophets of men. I want to make sure that y'all with me. Prophets of men. And many prophets of men was also known as what we would call today sorcerers. They called them back then soothsayers. Uh... They also called them, or we refer to them as uh, diviners, diviners, D-I-D-I-N-E-R, diviners. These were men that by a spirit was able to speak some things, you know, out there. And we, and we have some of the same stuff going on today. What are, some of the stuff that we call today is, you know, you have people that try to read fortunes and Yo, all that different stuff. So everybody with me, right? Okay. So there was prophets of God. Then there was prophets of men. And many of these prophets of men were men or women that were trying to read into the spirit, spiritual world. And it wasn't always by the divine nature of God. There was a, a couple weeks ago, if you remember the message... God was speaking to us how he even used some of uh, over 400 prophets of men and he put a, uh, with a he allowed them to have a lying tongue and they lied to the children of Israel and, 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 and seduced the children of Israel to this place that, that brought them back to obedience so God can even use the lying tongue of the, of the prophets of men everybody with me Balaam when you read through this and you study this at first glance, then you you would it, it appears to be is him being a prophet of God. And surely he may have started out as a prophet of God. But ultimately there was something that that, that, that Balaam bought into that lured him away from the things of God and following uh, God himself. So we're gonna read a little bit of this. And uh, just to lay a foundation, I pray that as you write these scriptures down, talking about the whole, you would have to read uh, Numbers chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, and even uh, into 25 to get the full picture. But starting in verse 22, and I'm not going to read every one of these chapters, we're going to skip through this, but I want to lay the foundation. It says, then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippar, saw all the Israel's, excuse me, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people. Moab was the, was the country, was the, the, the people. Not just an individual name. Bala was the king of Moab. The Moabites. These people. So here in verse 3 it says that Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab, that whole country, that whole nation of people, was sick with dread because the children, because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of the Midian, now, this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass. And Balak, the son of Zabar, was the king of the Moabites. That's what I said at that time. Then he sent a message to Balaam, the son of Beor, at uh, Pathar, which is near the river in the uh, land of the sons of his people. He called to him saying, look, a people has come from Egypt. 
See, they cover the face of the earth and are settled next to us. Therefore, please come at once. Curse these people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I should be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. So here you see the picture. The picture begins is that the king of Moab, which is Balaam, he calls for Balaam, which is this uh, prophet. And when you study this, I'm just giving you some background too. Balaam at this time was probably one of the most well-known prophets at that time. And what I'm talking about prophets is, was one of the well-known soothsayers at that time that could you know, see some things. He, uh, they also call him seers. He was the most well-known seer, and not, not only the most well-known, but he was the one that was getting the most money. It's just like a, a, a right now that you have different people at different times that's the most popular in, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's in basketball, whether it's in this, that, or whatever. He was the prime thing, my friend. And so here, ba Balak uh, knew about this guy, and he sent his, his messengers. And as you continue to read forward, not only did he send his messengers, but the, it, it tells us in the story that he sent his messengers and he sent them with a fat purse. Lots of money in there and to bring this guy back. Let's read a little bit further, picking up in verse 7. It says, so the elders of Moab, Moab and the elders of the Medians departed with the diviner's feet. In their hand, that's that first I was talking about. They had the money. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him with the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge uh, here tonight. This is what Balaam told the men. Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then came, then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippar, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people have come out of Egypt. And we know who is the people that came out of Egypt. It's the children of Israel because God had brought them out of Egypt. Everybody with me. And he says, And they covered the face of the earth. There were so many of them. This is, we know that the children of Israel was the most populated nation on the earth. He says, come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and to uh, drive them out. And look what God says in verse 12 to Balaam. And God says to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people that what? that I have blessed, or that are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the prince Balak, Go back and for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again said, Princesses this time, more numerous and more honorable than they, the ones before. And they came to Balaam again and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zephar, Please <coughs> let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you, will, uh, you greatly. I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse these people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servant of Balak, the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. So in other words, he said, if Balak promised to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go down or go beyond the word of the Lord my God. Come on. To do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight. 
that I may know what the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balak at night and said to him, if the men come, excuse me, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the words which I speak to you that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. I'm going to stop right there. Because as you continue in the story, first and foremost, as Balak sends his men with even a bigger promise, more money, or offer of more money, then Balaam had already heard the word from God. That that which God has blessed, that no man, let no man curse it. In there, God had already given him the answer. But when they came back, asked with, with a bigger offer, what did Balaam do? Balaam compromised himself and, and wanted and said, okay, let me, I'm going to go before God again to see what God has said. Does that sound familiar? See, we live in a time right now that Satan will use you know, all kinds of things. We already heard that you, you already know the answer that God has said. But when they come back with a bigger offer, are we willing to compromise what God has already said? See, there are many lessons in what God wants to speak to us because the thing about it is, is that we living in a time right now that Satan, he wants to entice us in every which way. The real essence of, of this, and I'm going to have you turn to, uh, stop right here just for a second, but go to Revelation chapter uh, 2. Revelation chapter 2. Because the real essence of Balaam and what this is all about without us having to go through and read all four chapters right now. In short form, Balaam over and over again would compromise. He knew what God had said. But then when the enemy comes with the offer, then he wants to come before God again and present to God the enemy's offer to hear what thus saith the Lord. And God is speaking to each and every one of us even today and, and even more so today as time draws closer and closer. He needs the children of God, us, the people of God, to not be, uh, to continue to bring before him that which uh, the enemy is trying to entice us with when he's already said, come on somebody. And this is important because I know that the Spirit of God is speaking to somebody because some of us are going through some things right now, some, the, some very challenges, some very things that's before us. And if you ain't going through them this moment that you're aware of, believe me, that they, they coming tomorrow. They coming real soon. And God is saying that you've already heard what I've said. And when you hear what the, thus saith the Lord, then let us not continue to compromise with the, or, or speak with the enemy, hear that what the enemy is saying and bring it before the Lord. As though God is going to change his mind about what he said. In Revelation chapter 2 here, in verse 14. Okay, so we know in Revelation, let me just lay the groundwork here. In Re Revelation chapter 2, we know that this is Jesus himself uh, speaking directly to the writer here, John, as he writes Revelation. And here, he, uh, in the first couple chapters here, he's speaking to on the seven different churches. So here in chapter 2, he begins to speak to the compromising church, the third church, the church of um, Paragamas. And we already we talked about this matter of fact on Thursday that the, the this church here was the church that what they married themselves to the world. They compromised with the things of the world, and that was the problem that God that Jesus said, I have the what I have against you is that you 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 believe in me fully. So you believe that I am the Son of God. It ain't no doubt about that. But what you have done is you compromise with those and let those that don't believe you want to you 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 are uh, married to them, married to to those that uh, that believe totally opposite of what you believe, and you comfortable with it. The compromising church. Here in verse fourteen, listen what the Spirit of the Lord says, or actually Jesus Himself tells the writer. He says, "Write these things down." In verse fourteen, He says, "But I have a." 
Matter of fact, let me back up to verse 12. I'll just read from 12. It says, And the angel of the of the church the Pargamus writes, These things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword, that's Jesus, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, he says, I know your works and where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the day, excuse me, of Antipas. Which, excuse me, even in the day which Antipas was my faithful martyr. Who has killed, who was killed amongst excuse me, among you, where Satan dwells. Okay? And look at verse 14, he says, but I have a few things against you. Though you believe in me wholeheartedly, what you have done is you went and dwelled in the place of the enemy. And he says, but I have a few things against you because you have those, uh, excuse me, because you have their those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balaam to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality okay so let me make this very plain and clear here is Jesus himself saying as he speaks to the to in Revelations to the church. This is far away. This is John. You know, if any of you know anything about Revelations, Revelations is what the, the Jesus had told John to write specifically. And I think I said something about this even a couple weeks ago. There's a difference between the book of Revelations and the Bible says that blessed is the man who reads Revelation. And what was that difference between Revelation as opposed to other books that was written in the word of God? All of it is written, inspired by God, right? The other books, the difference between Revelation is Revelation was actually written uh, about a time that had not happened yet. The other books is written primarily uh, about times that has happened and then prophecies, of course, and they are inspired word of God. But the book of Revelation is one that is dictated by Jesus to the writer of a time that is to come, the end time. And so Jesus showed him through visions and, 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 uh, and, 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 and spoke directly to John in there. So this was a, the book of Revelation that makes it different is that he, here the writer is writing down in, 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 in his words what Jesus is saying in real time. This is not a revelation. This is not an inspired word. This is the word. And so we have to take real serious. That's why it says blessed is the one who reads this book and, and get any type of understanding out of it. And the understanding that God wants us to get is how serious this is because these are words of Jesus and they are real words. And he's telling the church here that the thing that I have against you is that you have the doctrine of Balaam operating in my church. In the church of God. Yes, you believe that Jesus is the son of God. But the doctrine or the operation of the church and where you abide that is in the uh, in the camp of the enemy. So how does that relate to numbers? It relates to numbers because this is the story. Back way back with the children of Israel, what Balak did is he came before the Lord. Lord told him what to say in there. And when the enemy camp comes, he wants to and offer more money. He's compromising. As though he didn't hear the Lord. Let me go speak to the Lord again. As though the Lord is going to say something different. And then as we back in numbers and we continue the story, then what happens is, is and this is the, the essence of the message, my friend, is that so it goes on. And the spirit, uh, and, and have you ever heard, I know some of you heard this, uh, that there was somewhere in the Bible about a, that, that God used a donkey to speak. Anybody heard that? Raise your hand if you heard that. Well, here it is, my friend. This is where it is. 
It's in the story of Balaam because what happens was is that Balaam, God told him, you know, and, and when you just read this, you kind of have to really study it out because when you read this thing we just read and God said, okay, go with him. So you would think that it's, it's like God has given him permission. No, God is mad now. Because first and foremost, why would you come to me asking me something that I've already told you that's coming from the enemy? This ain't even coming from yourself. You're going to bring forth the enemy is, is coming to you and I've already given you the answer. You are not to curse that which I've already blessed. This is the children of Israel, the ones that I've just brought out of Egypt, my friends. This is the work of God. And here's a prophet saying, hey, uh, here, somebody want me to curse him. Is that okay, God? Well, I make it sound like that, then it seems kind of foolish. But it ain't no different than some of the things that we do before God today. Hear me. It's not much different than some of the foolishness that we entertain God with today when God has already said some things. Let me move a little bit further. Because so now, this is where you can see in verse 22 of chapter 22, it says, Then God's anger was aroused because he went. God told him to go. And then when he went, God got mad. Why? Because he had, God had already told him don't go. And so when God tells him, oh, go ahead and go, you know, obviously it was in some way, shape, fashion, the form that God was leading him to become a true prophet of, of him and choose what God had already said. So it's, it's much like a, and some of y'all going to really be mad at me for saying this, but it's like a, my uncle told me when I was growing up, when I was a young uh, teenager, he said, let me tell you a little bit about women, son. He says that, now what they say don't do what they say, because what they say, that ain't what they really mean. So if he say no, uh, or yes, this, or whatever, whatever it is, then you better make sure that you understand what's happening, because primarily if she say, no, I don't need you to do that, that means you need to do that. Okay. So when God told him, uh, after he had already told him once, he said, oh, go, okay, go with the guy. He obviously said it in a sarcastic way, so and he, he, he hears it and he goes with the guys and then what does it say? God's anger was aroused. And then what God did is he sent the angel of the Lord on the path uh, that Balaam was riding on his donkey to take. And the, the donkey seen the angel of the Lord with a sword on the path. And the donkey moved off the path. And what did Balaam do? Balaam struck the donkey. And then the angel of the Lord got on the, the other path down that he was on. And the, uh, the, the donkey moved off the path and ran Balaam's leg into a wall and crushed his leg. And what did Balaam do? He strikes, strikes the donkey. And the donkey is uh, then now the third time uh, the angel of the Lord appears before the path right there. And the donkey he lays down. I ain't going nowhere. Because he sees the angel of the Lord with the sword. He recognized the angel of the Lord and Balaam struck him. And then this time uh, the, the, the Lord put the words in the donkey's mouth and asked and, and told. And so the donkey says to Balaam, why, why you strike me three times? Why did you strike me three times? And Balaam going to tell him, yo, whatever, but then the donkey said, have I been your, uh, your donkey all of this time and have I not ever yo, did anything out of the way in there? And at that moment, the eyes of Balaam becomes open and he sees now what he could not see, that the donkey could see and that was the angel of the Lord with the sword and the angel of the Lord began to speak to him and he says, if it was not for this donkey doing what he did, you would be dead right now. And the donkey I would have let live in there. So this is the story of when God used the donkey to speak to the, 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 the prophet in there or to, to the man, to Balaam. And so now just fast forwarding, Balaam gets, nevertheless, he, he gets all the way over to Balak now. He gets to the place. And when he gets there, turn your over to chapter 23. And we'll 
look at this really quick. So Balaam gets past the episode with the donkey. And he gets on over into the land where Balak is. And one of the things as you as we get go there, there's a couple of things that I do want to, to read and to stand out. Because when the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw that the angel was standing there uh, in the way that he had uh, drawn his sword in his hand and he had bowed. And so then Balaam bowed his head and fell to his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse to me. I wanted to read that because we have to be very careful. There's things that we are operating in even on today. And God is trying to come out uh, with the angel of the Lord to let us know that our way is perverse against him. You know, in there, it ain't because we are against God, because we don't believe in God, but the, our way of what we're doing, and, and, and God can't use that. This is essential. That we, and so this is the reason why glory be to God for the testimony. And no, I didn't set this up for her to, to give her words of encouragement, but this is the reason why we have to come to a place in our life and it's essential for us to be able to present ourselves to God and say, God, what's in my heart? Because we don't always know what's in our heart. Matter of fact, we don't know what's in our heart. We can't even trust what's in our heart. The only thing that we can trust is what God says that's in our heart. Because our ways are perverse against him. Even though we love him and we, our heart, our, we, our heart, quote unquote, and our heart that we talk about is the one that's in our mind. Did you know you had a heart in your mind? Oh, I didn't know that either because your heart is, is, is a representation of what's in, in the inner man. The inner man. And so our minds can deceive us as to what's in our inner man is all that I'm saying. And this is very clear. That our ways, because of what we think, and, uh, and because we have a mind to do what's right by God. I said a mind to do what's right by God. It's not always the indication of truly what's in our hearts. And so the only way that we can know that, we, we have to be willing, <coughs> excuse me, to come before the Lord. We have to be willing to open ourselves and say, Lord, show me what's in my heart. Lord, created me a clean heart and a right spirit. See, that's what uh, David did. He knew that his heart wasn't right. He knew that he couldn't trust his heart, I said. And because he knew that he couldn't trust his heart, then what did he do? He came before the Lord. And he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and a right spirit. How did he know that? How did he know that he couldn't trust his heart? He knew it because first and foremost, uh, the word of God says that, that your heart is so deep, deceitfully wicked. God told him that. That you can't even, that no man can know it. But the other reason, and the main reason why he knew it, was because he'd seen the manifestation. And obviously what was, what's the manifestation you talking about, Pastor? He's seen what he was doing every single day. He took a look at what was happening in his life. Though he loved God, and though he was a, a man of God, he, seen, he found himself, yo, committing adultery. He found himself lying and, and, and conniving. He found himself doing all sorts of things. And what, and what, what, what do you mean that he found himself? He looked at the, the end result. Even the good intentions that he had, he seen at the end what, what it turned out to be. And my question to you and me today, are we looking at the end result? Or are we just paying attention that, oh, God knows my heart? And just like you said, that most of the time and quite often, when we say that God knows our heart, we only say it in a place where what we intended to do, it didn't come out like that. The end result or the manifestation was jacked up, but we said, instead of us reading what was, came out, we'll call that a lie and say, God knows my heart. You see and, God, and see, David came to a place, he says, no, I ain't going to keep saying that God knows my heart. I'm going to begin to look 
at the manifestation. And I'm not called to lie, but I'm going to recognize that's within me. And then I'm going to say, oh Lord, I need you today to create in me a clean heart. And a right spirit, renew something in me. Hallelujah. And this is what God needs us. If we can come clean to God, then he can show us what's in our heart so the manifestation can become different now. The manifestation can be what? It can actually become that which God wants to do in our lives. It's what God wants to do. And this is the reason why the doctrine of Balaam is so important. So real quickly as we move forward, then what? because we want to get to the end result of this. So in the... It says this real quick too. It says, and Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned and I do not know, excuse me, and I did not know you stood in the way against me. There's times that God is standing in the way against us and we'll, we won't recognize it, so we'll go and do it anyway. Come on, somebody. And it says, if it please you, I will turn back. That's what he told the angel of the Lord. He still don't get it. You came to God. God didn't already told you no. You can come to him again. And he says in a sarcastic way, obviously, don't go, uh, go ahead. And you know the, uh, the, the, that you angered the Lord because now he's the spirit, the angels on the pathway. And yet again, what does it still? Does it sound familiar? We just don't want to hear God say no to this. So he says it again. If it please you, then I'll turn back. Do you want me to go, Lord? I already told you don't go. Now I'm down here and I put an angel in the way to, to get you off course. And then you're going to say, what does he say? If it displeases you, I'll turn back. Come on, somebody. See, we can see this in him, but can you see that in ourselves? Doing the same thing. We don't, when we want something done and we want to do it a certain way. And God is telling us, no, he just shut that door down. He already said no. You heard him for real when you actually, when he said it by the Spirit. But you going to move forward anyway, and he shuts that door down. We don't want to hear that. Is that you, Lord? Oh, that must not be you. Be you. And move forward again, and, and, and over and over again, he keeps telling us in more than one way. So what does the angel of the Lord say to Balaam at that point? He says, go with me. But only say what I, the Spirit, uh, I speak to you that you should speak. So Balaam went with the princess of Balaam. So when he says go with him, was, did he really want him to go with him? Did he mean go with him? No, he's saying it in a way that you already made. Basically what he's saying is, and it's the same thing that God has to tell us. Go on with him. Because you already made up your mind and you ain't going to listen to me. Not yet. But in you going, you, uh, you need, don't say this and don't say that. Verse 20, uh, chapter 23, we find him there. So he gets to Balak and picking up in verse. Uh, actually, uh, the last verse of chapter 22 it says, So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high place of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. It says in now verse 20, chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then Balaam, that's the prophet, said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and, and prepare for me seven bulls and seven goats. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered the bulls and goats on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam there, and he said to him, I have prepared, excuse me, and he said to him, this is Balaam saying to God, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered it to each uh, each." Off uh, altar a bull and a goat on each altar a bull and a goat and then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said return to Balaam and thus you shall speak 
So he, he returned to Balaam, and there he was, standing right at the place he left him at, by the burnt offering. He and all of his princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle, that's Balaam, he took up his oracle and began to speak. And Balak, the king of Moab, brought him Excuse me. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, king of Moab, has brought me from around, from the mountain of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. Verse 8, he says, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Come on, somebody. How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? See, these, this is the word that God had put in his mouth. See, Balaam came with intentions to satisfy Balaam and to curse the people. But the word that the Lord put in his mouth was not a curse. Let's look a little bit further. In verse 9 it says, "From <coughs> Then this is the word. He said, from for the top of the rocks I see them, and from the hills I behold them. There are a people dwelling alone not reckoning itself amongst another nation who can count the dust of Jacob or number who can count the dust of Jacob or number one fourth of Israel nobody can <laughs> let me die the death of the righteous and let me and let my end be like this this was the, the blessing the blessing that, uh, so what happened was instead of a curse coming out of his mouth, a blessing came forth. That you will be numerous among all the nations. No nation won't even be a fourth of your nation. You will stand, you know, when, when nobody else can't stand and nobody can't beat you. All of these different things is basically what, what's happening. And look what Balaam said. And then uh, Balaam said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I told, I took you, to, I told you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. And see, this is what the message is all about, my friend. That that which God has blessed, no man can curse. And not only this, but it goes on four times. So right after that, immediately, he tells them, okay, you messed up this time, but so here, let me take you to this other place. That starts in verse 13. He says, let me take you to another place, and you'll see part of the, the nation. And I want you to uh, curse them. So I can stand against them, so we can fight against them, and, and, and if they curse, then we can overtake them. That's what happened. If you read further, then what, uh, he went and built another altar, seven of them, they uh, did a sacrifice. He says, let me go over here and hear what the Lord says. The Lord put a word in his mouth, and when he came back to curse the people, guess what? That came out a blessing over the people. That's the second time. If you go down to verse 27 of the same chapter, here's the third time. Same thing. He goes to, the, uh, to another place. With the intention, he, this guy is giving him more and more chances because he really needs these people to be cursed. So he gives them a third chance. Curse the people. This time he said, I ain't even going to go oh, uh, to see what the Lord says. The, Lord, the, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. To obey him. And he pronounced the blessing right there. Period. And it goes on to the fourth time. And four times in a row. As him and the king is wanting to curse the children of Israel. What comes out of their mouth is a blessing. Or what comes out of his mouth is a blessing. And see, in some of us right now, we have, uh, be because of the blessing that God has placed on our life, there's people that want to curse you. There's people that have intentions of cursing you, my friend. But what's going to come out of their mouth, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the, in the house, whether it's in the neighborhood, what's going to come out of their mouth is what the Spirit of the Lord puts in there. And, and it ain't just because they prophets of God. It's because of what God has intended. And God is going to speak not a cursing over your life, but God is going to have the one that wants to curse you to bless you, my friend. Come on, somebody. That's exciting news. And maybe some of us don't know 
you might not be able to see the person that wants to, because uh, that person that wants to curse you may be the very one that's smiling in your face. It might be the very one that's giving you the most pats on your back on the job site. See, some of this we can't even see. But you got to know me because you being the child of God and if we walk in the ways of the Lord, come on somebody. If we give our lives over to the direction of him, then we don't have to worry about the curse. Because that who was sent out to curse you will only bless you, my friend. Now here's the next thing. Number two in this is that you got to understand even if the words seem to be a curse word against you, you better, we, we got to know that we live in a time that God has already said in his word. That he's working out all things to our good. To those who love him and that are be called according to his purpose. That's, in other words, to those who are walking in his way. If we are walking in his way, you give me your heart. So understand what Revelation says. This ain't just talking about somebody that believes in him. Because there was people that believed, but they dwelled in the place of Balaam. Oh, we need to really define that. What is the place of Balaam or what is the doctrine of Balaam? Now we can. Because he, as it turns out here, Balaam could not curse them. The children of Israel. The enemy cannot curse you. But with the, the, the doctrine of Balaam that, that Jesus himself refers to in Revelation that he had against the church is this. See, the doctrine of Balaam, while it cannot curse you, the doctrine of Balaam says this. Since we, this is the doctrine of Balaam. It says, since we cannot curse them, let us seduce them. Since we cannot curse them, because God can't, ain't going to let us curse them. We don't want to curse them. Because every time we go to curse them, we're going to bless them. But what we can do is seduce them. Does it sound familiar, my friends? We living in a time right now that the world knows that they, Satan knows he can't curse you. He don't even want to try to curse you because he knows that what's going to come out is a blessing. But what he can do is he can't seduce you. And this is what he done to the modern day church of, uh, of uh, Paragonians. They were seduced by the spirit. And this is our challenge today. Are we going to, are you, are you, are we, we and without us knowing this and understanding what the word of God has said, and this is what the problem was for them because they was looking to be cursed and when they couldn't be cursed, then they, what they didn't understand is that they could be seduced. And so the story, as the story goes along, and you'll find this in, other, in, in Joshua chapter 13, it says that the children of Israel, all, this was after all of this was said and done. God uh, pronounced them because they was on their way to the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. And as God continued to lead them uh, forward, he had them wipe out the Moabites. In, the, in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, it says the children of Israel also killed uh, with the sword Balaam, the son of Peor, the soothsayer, amongst those who were killed. And, all, and he, So in other words, this is what happens. I'm fast forwarding. He goes through all of this. It could not curse the people. So what in, in the end of chapter or chapter 25, what ends up happening is, is that he, Balak, Balak now is mad. The king of Moab is mad because this dude didn't do what he what sent him to do. And so Balaam is mad because he didn't do what he was called to do. So therefore he didn't get all his money. So he went back to his land. And Balaam or Balak returned to the, the, the people of Moab. Right? But somewhere along the line we find out in, 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 that it's spoken in Joshua and this was sometime later that God sent the children of Israel to go ahead and wipe them out just like he had did all of these other nations and many after that. And he also ultimately sent them to wipe out Moab, the Moab tribe. 
in there and he and he they killed five of the the kings of moab they had different little divisions and different kings in there they killed all five of them and at the time that they killed them guess who else they killed that was with them Balaam. he still didn't have enough so somewhere in there and the bible ain't that uh that very clear but what it is clear is that he left when he couldn't curse the children of israel the first time but sometime later, or sometime in between there, he came back and was with Balak them again. Why would he be with Balak? It was only one reason. And that is to come find a way to get at the children of Israel. So obviously he left, he couldn't curse them, but he comes back to him to get his money and say, I know, I don't know, we can't curse him, but guess what, I figured out a way to get him. And that is to seduce them. So what happened is, is they began to let the children of Israel into uh, their, where they weren't going to let them in before. Now they let them in to come and dwell with us. And then they began to lie with the people, uh, the women of Moab, and God had already told them, don't be lying with no other nations. You see? So they began to use sexual immorality. And not only sexual immorality, but as they abided with these people, then guess what happened? They began to eat with them and they began to worship their idols with them. They began to worship the idols of the foreign people. And then began to sexually, sexually have, be immoral with the people. What is the picture? What are you saying? It's the same picture that we're looking at today. We have the spirit of the world that is coming to the church. We, or the church lives in a place right now that is eating and worshiping the idols of the world. This is the biggest thing that God has against the church today. That we, the people of the church, that we live in no different than the people of the world. That, I, that we worship idols. Then, yeah, they worship idols in a certain way, but what is our idol worship? Do you know what your idol worship is? Is when anything that you put before God. It's a part of one of the first ten of the Ten Commandments. Is one of the commandments. That you should have no other gods before Him. And what does that mean? I don't care what that means. That means it could be your car, your house, your, your basketball, your football, whatever it is. Anything that we put before God. Believe me, God is serious about that. This is the doctrine of Bay of Bellum that he's talking about that he has against the church now is because no, you didn't let that they didn't curse you, but they seduce you into operating no different than them, even though you believed in me 100 percent See, and we live in a time where even now that, that, that everything is uh and this is it was called the compromising church. What is the compromising church? It's the one that tolerated all everything. Or anybody's stuff. No, we ain't going to do it. All of it, but we'll tolerate it. Come on, does that sound familiar? We living in a time where tolerance is the big thing right now. That's a world thing. The church was never to tolerate the foolishness of the world. But we living in a time now that, it, uh, matter of fact, then the church is strange if they don't tolerate the, the ways of the world. Come on, somebody. And God is not going to stand for it. And we don't be in for a rude awakening if we don't wake up and smell the coffee. And that starts with you and me individually. Though it may not be happening in this little bitty place, but it's all over the body of Christ. And guess what? We're part of the body of Christ. So who will stand for the Lord and against all of this mess? But we want to be all inclusive. Yeah, I'm going to keep it real. We live in a time of uh, inclusion, is what they call it. The biggest abomination, the biggest uh, doctrine of Balaam, uh, the, the biggest seduction of Balaam that's in the world today is the spirit of inclusion. That the church is supposed to be all right with. If we studied our word, then we won't be all right with that. There's no way. We're not going to be all right with it. We will stand against it. Up. Stand right up against it. No, we will love the people. But we will stand against the foolishness. 
But what we say is the opposite of that. We'll deal with the foolishness because we love the people. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't love the people if you deal with the foolishness. God never uh, dealt with us like that. That's why he chases those whom he loves. Because he's not going to put up with your foolishness because if he did, he did not love you. But because he loves you, then that's why he's going to chase us. And it's time for the church to stand down. And this is Jesus in Revelation. If you don't believe nothing else, or if you don't get nothing else, if you want to say anything else about the Bible, oh, well, that was man wrote that. Well, in Revelation, man didn't write that. Yeah, he, his pen wrote it, but Jesus spoke these words. So if you're afraid that, oh, God didn't reveal that to Paul, then oh well. But here to John in Revelation, this is the only book in the Bible that, Jesus, that he dictated what was supposed to be said. And the writer writes it down. This is Jesus himself. <coughs> Go to chapter 21 of Revelation and we're going to close right here. This is a serious message, my friend, and it's a serious thing because what God has blessed, no man can't curse. But the truth of the matter is, is that Satan is going to try to seduce you into all things. This is what he's operating in the world, is to seduce us. And because we ain't been looking for a seduction, then we ain't been aware of it. And guess what happens? Then we, we, that's all that's been happening. We've just been gradually, slowly, easily being seduced. And it's, and it's a hard thing because it's an easy thing for Satan to seduce us, but it's a hard thing for us to recognize it because why? Because in our hearts, because we love God. Because I believe in Jesus. And so it's a hard thing for me to recognize because of what I believe in, but it ain't no different than the church he speaks in. He says that one thing you didn't compromise was your faith. And that I like, but the thing that you did compromise, and I have a problem with it. It's where you dwell in it. What you adhere to. The seduction you have succumbed to. But God says in his word that the church that he's coming back for is a church without spot or wrinkle. God says in his word the church that he's coming back for and what he's going to do is he's going to make all things new. See, and this is the reason why he has to make it new, my friend. Because it can't be like the old. And when he makes it new, it's going to be a new earth, is what he says. Look at the, uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. He says, Then I, John, I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for his husband. Glory be to God. And that is the, the church that Jesus is coming back for. A, a, a bride that is prepared for his husband. We are the bride of Christ. And what he's coming back for, while the gates of heaven is still open, what kind of bride are we going to be? Are we going to continue to be a, a, a cheating bride? One that is, oh, I'm engaged to you, but I'm going to be playing Timmy Winks all day with the world? It ought not be so. And it just really takes, oh, when is it going to be something, I'm talking about inside of you as an individual that makes up the church? You are the church. When are you going to make a stand in your own heart? To not compromise with the world. I'm talking about in the way. Think about all that we've been talking about. Yo, Balaam was supposed to be a prophet of God, but he compromised. And that's what this, this whole thing is about. It's about compromise. It's about compromise. It's about compromise. And Satan got smart enough to realize that he cannot curse you, but he can show seduce you into compromise. And guess what? It's at an all-time high now because we can't see it because we believe in God. Because I'm a Christian. Because I go to church. 
But if we take a look at our own life, or we allow God to show us truly what's in our heart and what's really going on, we don't even want him to show us that because we're afraid of what he might show us. Because if he shows us, then we're going to have to deal with it. So let me stay in this place of feeling good because I believe God but walking in ignorance because I don't want to see the truth. See, ignorance don't mean stupid. Ignorance don't mean dumb. Ignorance means that I don't know or I, wanna, or I don't want to know. I want to stay in the not knowing category as though that's going to be some excuse before when we come before the king. It's not going to be an excuse, my friend. And the reason why it's not going to be an excuse because he gave us all the reason and all every door was open to us for us to know. So today is the day that the Spirit of the Lord is saying, if you didn't get nothing else, I want you to get right in the middle of your chest right now. Is what God has said. I want you to, to feel me on compromise. What in your life are you compromising? And you know that you're compromising because I've said it. I put the angel with the sword in your path. I've had the donkeys even speaking to you. Because you wouldn't listen. You know what I'm saying to you. But yet, you want to keep holding on to it. You want to do it a little while longer. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it off tomorrow. No, God is saying today is the day. He don't want you to take that thing not even a, another day forward. But he wants you to submit it unto him today. Today is the day of no more compromise. And just as you are looking for the day of the coming of the Lord, and you with full expectation that Jesus will take you with him, then Jesus is looking for this day, the manifestation day that you give your heart over to him, all of it. And then it ain't a place that you want to keep him out of that so you can compromise. Today is that day. And I pray that each and every one of you, you allow that which is touching you in your heart. I can see it in the spirit so ain't nobody can deny. It's there. And God is knocking on the door of it. He's knocking on the door. And if you read in Revelations in chapter 3, he begins to talk to the church and he says, the, uh, one of the, the last church he had against that church was that, yo, that, uh, he, as he opened doors and stuff, they wouldn't even walk through him, but he says uh, he was knocking at the door of his own church. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't hear my voice and let me in. I'll come in. And we think that's just a, a call to salvation. No, Jesus was knocking on the door of his own church and was wondering, will somebody let me in? That means that the, Jesus was out of the church. The church is in here. Let it be no part of us that we're not willing to let him in. And there's only one reason why we would ever hold him out of a certain room in the house. It's because that's the room we want to compromise in. Come and do an invitation and let's pray this morning, please. Come on, my dear. In the name of Jesus, Lord, open the hearts to receive you right now. There is no more compromise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.